0: Hello, Money Multipliers. Welcome back to another episode of The Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Kessler, and we ask ourselves, do our dollars make sense? Over the past few weeks, I have been noticing a lot of new subscribers to the YouTube, a lot of new followers on the podcast, and giving us some ratings as well. So I see y'all. Thank you. Thanks for sharing the love with my show. And if this is your first time that you're listening to this show, hello, I'm Hannah Kessler. I live down here in Daytona Beach, Florida, and I practice and I teach the infinite banking concept. So that's what we do here on this channel, and we talk about all the time every single week, and I upload every Tuesday. So thanks for tuning in. So in today's episode, what kind of inspired me to talk about this topic is actually from a blog post that one of my colleagues wrote. And if you subscribe to the Money Multiplier blog, you'll get those every other week, I believe. And Jason, is his name, Jason Sippel on my team. He writes all of the blog posts. And I thought this was a really cool comment that he made in one of the past articles where he talks about how much banks own in whole life insurance. Because right I say this all the time. I'm not here reinventing the wheel. What I'm doing is I'm just going to mimic and play the game right along there with the elite and the wealthy individuals and corporations. And so he made a comment in the article. He says, this investment choice aka whole life insurance is where the banks are putting their money, this investment choice remains a preferred option for numerous banks with 3,153 banks nationwide reporting cash surrender values on their regulatory filings as of June 30th, 2023. Notably, 64%, a little over, 64% of banks across the country with assets ranging from 100 million to 1 billion currently possesses BOLI, bank-owned life insurance. And go look that stuff up. If you just go out there and Google BOLI, B-O-L-I, you will see the hundreds of pages that come up of how much whole life insurance banks actually actually own. And there's actually another resource I wanna give y'all Two, there is a gentleman by the name of Barry Dyke, and he wrote a book called The Pirates of Manhattan. And that's a good book that y'all should check out uh, exploring how much banks hold in their tier one assets of whole life insurance. And so it kind of comes up it's saying, well, hey, Are banks stupid or are they doing something the rest of us just may not know about? And they're probably doing something. And then people will ask me, well, Hannah, you know, so how are these banks going out there and purchasing this whole life insurance? And the answer is they're going out there and they're putting it on the key employees within that branch or that uh, bank facility. So, like, if you ever walk into a bank, and I would do this next time, if you ever find yourself walking into your local branch office go and look at their little name tags and see how many key executives there are of that bank. All right, it just seems like there's, for every 10 employees that that branch office has, it seems like nine of the 10 are key executives of that branch office. You know, you got the key executive of the coffee machine, the key executive of the loan department, of the IT tech team. You know, there's so many key executives and the reason they're doing this is because they're making an insurable interest for that bank to be able to purchase a whole life insurance policy on that key employee for the business. And that's how they're going out there and obtaining all of these vehicles. And I even asked one time, I don't know if I maybe have shared the story here on this podcast, but I had to go in and open up a business checking account, I don't know, maybe like a year or so ago. And I asked the lady when I was sitting down there, I said, hey, I got a question has your director or manager came to you and asked if you wanted to start a whole life policy? And maybe I didn't say whole life, maybe I just said a life insurance policy. And she said, well, yeah, matter of fact, they just did. About uh, two weeks ago, my manager came up to me and said, hey, you're eligible, we're enrolling you in this program because we just promoted you and we're gonna start a, a life insurance policy on your body. And so it's just so funny to understand now that we're in the weeds and we're pulling back the onion to really understand why these banks are going out there and making these business moves that they are. And again, you know, I'm not bashing banks. I really applaud them for their technique and their business that they are doing. But to be quite frank and honest with y'all, there is some downfalls and some cons of how businesses, or banks are practicing their businesses with what they're doing. So we're going to talk about that a little bit on today's episode. Hey, as always, go out there to our website, themoneymultiplier.com forward slash events. And we're traveling all around the country and we teach on this concept. You know, coming up, I got my millennial money multiplier mastermind that's going to be a virtual event. Uh, we are currently, uh, in the planning process for the three-day masterminds that will be held in 2024. So I hear y'all, you guys have been asking me, Hannah, when are you going to go have another three-day event? That was awesome. So that is in the works and we're going to be coming to you with dates and locations here soon. And If you ever want me to come and teach to your audience, I'm available. Reach out to me. My email is Hannah. Hannah spelled the same ways forwards and backwards. Hannah at themoneymultiplier.com. And I will travel around. I will come to you live or we can host a virtual event, whatever. And I will come and teach to your people. I'm just here to do my due diligence and my services and my duties here to keep educating the public on this powerful knowledge. All right, let's get into it now. So let's talk about how we store our money. And then let's talk about how banks store their money. You know, we are traditionally taught that there's one a few ways of where we can go and keep our money. All right, so option one is we can keep the money in cash, right, so we could hold it in our homes, underneath the mattress, put it in a safe, dig a hole in the backyard, keep it over there. Maybe you rent out a big hanger and you got a little bunker over there and you put all your cash over there. Okay, you hold it somewhere in physical cash. That's kind of option one. Then we got option two is we can go down to the local bank as somewhere where we can deposit the money and we can keep the money there at the bank. And what makes it attractive to us is because when we go and put money into the bank, that deposit to the bank they have to now pay us interest on that money. So that's what makes it attractive is that bank's gonna pay us interest and it kind of comes with the convenience of the mobile banking, bank transfers, uh, credit cards, checks, things like that. So that's why we like banks and we hold the money there. And to just even like the physical cash of it itself. I mean, if you had just... $200,000 laying around your house. I mean, that's some wads of cash that you got to go and find a place to store and hide somewhere, right? So we like to do it at the bank because they actually have a physical location of where we can store that money at. Now, is that money really there when you store it at the bank and deposit it? We'll come back to that topic. All right, so that's kind of option two, right? We can go down to the bank and put our money there. Or option three, what we're taught is, well, hey, maybe I go out and I go put my money into a brokerage account. I go put it into some mutual funds. I give it to a, a financial advisor and they're gonna handle my money and go and invest the money for me, right? Or I could do a 401k, an IRA, a qualified plan, something like that, and I can go and set my money over there, but somebody else is controlling it. You're giving up that control. So you could go and put the money into those types of brokerage accounts. So why I am not a huge fan of giving up the control of my money is because nobody is going to better warehouse control and grow your money than what you can. Nobody's going to take more of that ownership and that responsibility of the money than you because it's your money. And nobody's going to care more about your financial life than what you do. And so that is just why I'm not a huge fan of just handing over my hard earned dollars to go be held with a financial advisor at the corner bank where they dread getting up every single day putting on their suit and tie and having to walk into the office work from nine to five, right? I mean, that's kind of where the mentality is at sometimes with these employees at the bank. Hey, I'm just working here for survival, not really because I like this and I'm passionate about it. So I just don't like to give up my control to other people because they're not going to make those sound financial decisions and think through all of the pros and cons of every decision-making process than what I will because at the end of the day, it's going to only hurt or better me. That's the only two ways that it can go. It can either go down or it can go up and I want to be the one who assesses the risk of what I am taking. with the money so it's important to be in control of it have the ownership but then to also have the secure storage of where that money is at okay so for our three examples here all right if I hold it in cash I like it because, hey, I'm holding it. I'm the only one who could touch this money. But if I hold it in cash, what if there's a natural disaster? What if a, a home fire breaks out and then there goes all of my cash up in flames or a natural disaster like a tornado where flooding happens and then there goes my money? So that's not really maybe a secure storage that we can have versus like at the bank. All right, if I hold my money there at the bank, is it really secured storage? I mean, let's talk about it. I think it's very important to note an article, and here, I'm gonna post this up on the screen. So I think it's important to note, and not a lot of people know this, but as of March 2020, okay, this happened over COVID time. As of March 15th, 2020, and this comes directly from the Federal Reserve.gov, and I will post this down below in the show notes so you can see this article, read more through it. The board reduced reserve requirement ratios to 0% effective March 26, 2020. So that literally means that the Federal Reserve system, they don't have to keep any money on hand at their location or where they're storing their cash at. They don't have to keep any money's backhand on their reserves. So, y'all, a bunch of that FDIC bull crap that y'all been hearing about. Yeah, FDIC is like the biggest scam in a marketing term that I've ever freaking heard, if you want my humble opinion. But it, it all of this crap that they're feeding us, we think that it's going to be there and we think that it's going to be protected, but because of their lending practices of what banks are doing, that's not what's happening. They're just playing this game and this hopes and we think that not everybody's going to come and do a run on the bank at one given point in time and want to request all of their money out. They're just playing this game with it. So, With this, we just need to be informed and actually of what's going on. I find it crazy how many people out there on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube are making comments like, well, hey, I just diversify my bank account. I keep no more than 250 here, 250 there, and blah, 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 blah. But In the grand scheme of things, it literally does not even matter where you're holding the money, where the most of the money is being stored. Yes, I do agree. Diversify the cash. What I say is don't even leave more, more than three months of overhead down at the local bank. That's what I personally do. But... With this term of this FDIC or the Federal Reserve System and what they're doing and what they're pumping out there into the economy, it is not good for our services here in our financial life. If you want my honest opinion here, you know, even the Federal Reserve System, based on their even name. First of all, they're not even federal. Second of all, they don't even have any reserves. All right. So how ironic of a name that they have here, but they literally don't even have to have any money backhand on their reserves in order to keep functioning within their practice that they're doing. And and you know what they'll do? I mean, if there's a time in total economic stress that they need money and the government's calling them, because remember, they're not federal. This is a private-owned company. The government will be calling them. Banks will be calling them. JP Morgan, blah, blah, blah. Hey, man, I really need this bailout. Uh, We made some really bad investment decisions, and we don't have any money here, and we're going to need to take some loans out from you. Can you help us? Then the Federal Reserve will go back in their backyard and turn on that printing press and just start printing out more dollars that's rolling off the tread line. I think that's what I want to call it. Maybe the assembly line. Those dollars are rolling off the assembly line. And then now they're just getting in flooded into our uh, financial system here in America. And thus, that's how inflation hits us. Do y'all see what's going on now? All right. I didn't mean to get off on that on that tangent, but my main point of what I'm trying to make is is that it is important to have a secure location of where you're keeping that money. And down at the bank, the money's not protected. I'll be the first one to tell you that. And please just go do your own due diligence, your own research as well. And you'll see exactly what I'm meaning. Also, even since like the digital currency and mobile banking and and electronic transactions, I mean, also not to mention the dollar not even being tied to gold anymore. There, It's just so much easier for banks to go out and make these risky lending practices that probably before the 80s wasn't very easy to make, okay? Because they had these standards and guidelines, morals, and ethics that they had to abide by. But just the lack of financial knowledge here in America and the hindering us, I guess I want to say, from us learning the true knowledge that's out there. I mean, this is why we find ourselves in the state that we're at now. So anyways, banks, no, I do not think banks are secure. I don't like to do business with the banks and I'm trying to be in that secure storage place where I can hold that money. And then, you know, finally, hey, if I put my money up with a financial advisor, I mean, is it really a secure storage? because that financial advisor, I'm giving them the authority to make decisions on my behalf. And then from there, they're going to go out and play with my money, maybe in the markets or buying funds, things like that. And I just can't dictate whether markets are going to go up and go down. So no, it's not a secure place to store it because it has those external factors that will dictate whether it goes up or goes down. So Hannah, if you're saying that I shouldn't keep my money at the bank, well then, first of all, tickle me this, where is the bank keeping their money right now? Well, the bank's they keep their money in what's called BOLI, bank-owned life insurance. Now, that's not all of it. You can go out there and uh, find annual reports and the uh, stats of where banks are keeping their wealth. So BOLI is one. You can go out and find another website, BauerFinancial.com, B-A-U-E-R, BauerFinancial.com. And you can go see these banks and their portfolios and kind of where they are holding their asset classes at because this is uh public knowledge to us being shareholders almost of this company so banks are really holding their money in whole life insurance boli boli but what are they really doing with the money right because they are a business they got a profit so what are banks really doing with the deposits that we are leaving there with them Well, first, before we get into it, we got to agree that money, money is nothing more than a means of exchange, okay? That is all that it is. All we do with money all day long is we exchange it for the goods, products, and services in our life. So I take my money, I buy some food. Money for food, food for money. Money for car, car for money. Money for house, house for money. Money for vacation, vacation for money. That's all money is. It's nothing more than a means of exchange. So banks, what they're doing is they're making it attractive to us to want to place our money down at the bank because if we leave our money there, then they will pay us a compounding interest on that money. So I want you to name me one business in the world that actually uses compounding interest. Well, the first one that comes to my mind are banks. Banks use compound interest. Well, let's think about that. Do banks use compound interest? No. They charge you compound interest and they pay you compound interest, but they're not using it themselves. So here's what I mean, if I go and I take my money, let's say I have $100 in my pocket and I wanna go down and I wanna go make this deposit at the bank. So they take my $100, they deposit it into my account and now on my mobile banking app, I have $100 plus there. Well, if I go back and I wanna take my $100,000 out, or $100 I meant, if I wanna take my $100 out, I have now stopped the compounding on the money because I physically was taking it out. Well, do you think they gave me that same $100 that I went and I deposited, let's say it was two weeks ago? Well, probably not. And here's how I want you to challenge this. Take $100 and write your initials on it and highlight it in yellow. And then you go down to your local bank, make that deposit of $100, and then just wait. Doesn't matter how long. You can wait a year, a month, two weeks, a day, a few hours, and then you go back in. You request your $100 back out of your account. Do you think they're going to give you the same $100 that you highlighted and you put your initials on? No. You know why? because they're moving it banks are in the lending business. That's what they do. They move that money all day long. So there's no black box in the back that says Hannah Kessler, and when I want to go back and take out my $100, they're going to give me the same one that I highlight and I put my initials on. They're not going to do it because they are moving that money. And, and And it's kind of funny how this fractional reserve lending really came about because if you kind of take like another business, let's say it could be a car dealership it could be a coat check-in okay or, or what are they called like they're you know like if you go to like a fancy event and you got your winter coat on and let's say it's winter time and you want to go into this fancy event and there's a coat check there we go that's the word and you take off your coat and you give it to the person and then they hand you a red ticket and it says, "All right." Uh, 59, that's your number. That's your number ticket. And you hold that 59 number ticket because that links up to your coat. When you go back in a few hours because you're trying to leave the event and go home for the night and you return that 59 uh, tickets that you have there and they hand you somebody else's coat, wouldn't you be pretty pissed off about that? Because don't you think they should hand you back your exact coat that you left there to check in with them? They should. So in that sense of the coat check-in business, it's it's so funny to me that it can be so off the rails and off guided with this fractional reserve lending just because simply banks can make this money out of thin air and be able to leverage and keep moving other people's money. And they're the ones making all the profits off of this stuff. That's how they're making eight, nine, $10 for every $1 they hold backhand on their reserves. So, and, and again, like I said at the beginning, I'm not bashing banks. I think they're brilliant for this. I think we just need to be informed of what's going on so we can make sound decisions for us and our financial security for ourselves and the family. So, you know, then it kind of, we ask ourselves, right? Well, Hannah, if banks are putting their money in whole life insurance, are they, why are they doing that? Are they using it as well? Yeah, that's what they're doing. When we're talking about this concept of the infinite banking concept, All we are simply doing is we're utilizing a whole life insurance policy to store the wealth, keep it, be able to still leverage it, and create more wealth and more profits for ourselves. It's literally exactly what the banks are doing because they know how sound and secure whole life insurance with a mutually owned company is to store, keep, and create that wealth for themselves. So here's one thing that we really gotta get understanding when we're talking about this concept as well, because everybody wants to talk about rate, rate, rate. You know, Hannah, why would I go put my money inside of this stupid whole life insurance policy that's only giving me a guaranteed 4% with the dividends versus a CD account right now, a certificate of deposit where I can go and put my money in there and I can make five and a half percent down at the bank. Why would I do that? Well, okay, let's talk through it and let's talk about the mysteries of money. So when I go out and I'm speaking on this concept, one of the first things I go through is the calculator example. And I show you how you can make money all day long earning 4% at the same time you're paying 6%. And we need to understand how money actually works. So here, instead of doing my normal 4 and 6%, I want you to watch here up on the screen. So for my podcast listeners, it's maybe a good idea to go to YouTube and follow along for the rest of this episode. But look, I want to show y'all something. I am just going to go out here and I'm going to find myself a loan calculator. And how I find a loan calculator, I like to go to bankrate.com. And so I come on here and I go to this little search icon and I just type in loan. Can I type calculator? <laughs> all right, and right here, loan calculator. And this is this is my favorite one that I personally use. So if I come on here, let's say that I have a payment. All right, let's say that I'm going to take out a loan of 100,000. And I'll have that loan outstanding five years, 60 months. And let's say that I got to pay 20% interest on this money. 20% interest is what I got to pay. So if I calculate that up, my monthly payment is $2,650, we'll just call it, is the monthly and the total principal is 100,000, and I paid about 59,000 in interest. So a total of 159,000 is really what this purchase is costing me with the 20% interest over the course of the five years. Well, what if I had a savings account, and in that savings account, I was earning 10%. So let's go here, let's find ourselves Um, Let's just Google search. Let's do compounding calculator. Perfect. Compounding calculator. Let's go to this one, investor.gov. All right. So if I come here to my compound interest calculator, my initial investment is 100,000 because we're taking the same numbers. And the length of time is gonna be five years. And the interest earned, 10%. 10% and we're going to do that on an annual basis. Let's calculate it. So if I calculate that over the course of the 5 years, I'm going to have a total balance of 161,000. So here's my question. Is this 161,000 is that a larger number than the 158? Or do y'all do math differently than what I do in the Kessler family and down here living in Florida? It's a larger number. But y'all, how can that be? I thought if I earn 10 and pay 20, I'm losing some. I'm losing money because if I earn 10, pay 20. 10 minus 20 equals negative 10. I'm going to be negative. And no! So with this short, simple exercise, we got to understand how money flows, how it grows, and how it's created. And here's the answer of why this is happening. Because the payment calculator, this Payment and that principal is being paid down each and every month. So that account is going down while your savings account that's earning 10% is going up. So one's going down, the other one's going up, but our minds are just not programmed to think that way. So with this, I just want y'all to really understand and dissect how money flows and where it grows because when when you start to respect that dollar, it's gonna flow and grow to where it's respected it at. So I just find it a little funny that we respect the banker's money a hell of a lot more than what we respect our actual money. You know, when you go down to the conventional bank and you take a loan out from them, you are expected to pay them back. Pay them back with interest, and you never skip a beat in doing it because there, then they will come and seize whatever collateral that you put up there for them on file. So we just need to have that same mentality when we walk into the infinite banking concept and us being our own bankers in our own lives now. And All we're doing, y'all, this is all that we're doing. We're just utilizing a whole life insurance contract where we are overfunding that policy to be able to have that immediate high cash value access so that then we have the money. It's stored securely, safely with the insurance company because insurance companies and their Austrian economics of what they practice and operate on is totally different than the fractional reserve banking that conventional banks do. So, All I'm doing is I'm just utilizing this policy to store, keep, and create the wealth for my family that has the growth of uninterrupted tax-free, government's completely out of my hair, and I can still leverage and utilize these cash values immediately. Because if a policy, a whole life policy designed for this concept, if it's designed properly, you will have immediate, my definition of immediately is within 30 days, you'll have that immediate cash value access to it. And then, hey, what do I have going on? Is it debt I got to pay? Is it my annual taxes? Is it the vacations I'm funding? My investment. Y'all, I'm a lender. That's what I do in my investment world. I like to lend out to people who need rehab money for projects or maybe it's some notes that I'm buying in the real estate space. That's just what I like to do in my investments. And I tell y'all all day long, I'm never going to tell you how to make the money, how to invest the money. But if you want to have those buddy-buddy conversations, we can. But what I'm here teaching you about is the banking business in your life. Nelson Nash has taught us there's two businesses that you want to be in in your life. The first business is the one that you're passionate about, supports the livelihood, supports the family, pays the bills, gets you up out of bed every single day, and hopefully you're passionate about that one. The second business is your banking business, the business that finances everything throughout your life. And that's what the whole life policy is replacing because right now the business function of your life, that banking function I should say, is all controlled by where you store the money and whose money you are truly leveraging. So if you wanna learn more about this, I mean if this is your first time ever hearing me talk about this concept, go to our website, themoneymultiplier.com forward slash presentation, and that breaks it down to the foundation knowledge of what is this concept, how are we practicing it, why do we even want to practice this? So a good resource for y'all. Um, tune in every single week. We got new episodes every Tuesday. We have our weekly webinars every Wednesday. So Wednesday at one o'clock Eastern time, we do the Wealth Wednesday webinars. And then following that at 4.30 Eastern time, every Wednesday, we do the weekly Ask Me Anything webinar. So reach out to me if you wanna join those, all right? They're always free. It's always free education that we're posting now there because it's just my duty to give y'all the knowledge. And here soon, I'm going to turn you on to a few books that I'm reading right now too. I got some really good books I'm reading. I got some on the way from Amazon too. All right, what I do y'all, so I have a few credit cards because I put my livelihood on a credit card and I pay them off each month. But I start to uh, rack up those cash backs. And with my cash back money, that's what I use to buy all of my uh, books on Amazon and the stores that I'm buying books out there on. And so it is kind of fun because my whole library is like a whole bunch of cash back books that I've been buying with my cash back on the credit cards. <laughs> so I got four good books that are coming in the mail. Uh, my other ones are just posted up on my bedside right now. So it's not gonna go get those, but I'm gonna turn y'all on to some other resources And that's what you got to do, okay? Let me tell you this. I'm going to be recording a series on this here soon of why you shouldn't practice the infinite banking concept. And just one of my thoughts out to you is is that if you are the type of person that you just want somebody else to manage your money, you do not want any control of it. This concept is not for you. This is about the people who want to be in total control, responsibility, and ownership in their financial life. So you got to have the mindset walking into it because I'm telling y'all, this stuff is not hard. It's just how we change the thinking and the relationship between us, our money and the transactions that we're doing. So, Thank you, y'all, for being here. Thanks for tuning in every single week. If you need me, y'all know where to find me. You can send me an email, hannah at themoneymultiplier.com. Hannah spelled the same ways, forwards and backwards. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Go look up my name, Hannah Kessler, uh, Kessler with one S. And until next time, I'll see y'all next week. Take care.